Welcome to Frame Rate. Blah, 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 blah. Rewind. All right. Okay. Oh. <clears throat> Hold on. <laughs> Go watch some freaking movies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Frame Rate, the podcast where myself and these two other dudes sitting across from me, Dustin. Hello. And Josh. Hi. Give our honest, no bullshit, wildly different views on a movie every week. If you want to know a little bit about who we are, hit skip backwards twice and go listen to our little trailer that we made uh, about us. And for those of you who don't do that, I guess you don't want to know what the real President's Book of Secrets is all about, which Mm. is on you. Go watch the Nicolas Cage movie, I guess, if you want. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so here we all are, episode one. Let us commence. Dustin, what did we watch this week? Ah, We got uh, our hands on a little movie from 2020. It was the movie that... um, single-handedly try to bring theaters back from the brink of extinction during a national or international pandemic and failed and (laughs) it's a little christopher nolan movie called tenet and backwards it's tenet it's a palindrome yes same forward as it is backward like taco cat or race car taco cat Oh, I guess you're right. <laughs> fascinating. More fascinating than this film. But please continue. <laughs> please. There's my first one. <laughs> All right. So we're going to start off with a little 90-second introduction summary of what this movie is about. There will be spoilers for the rest of the time. So if you have not seen Tenet. Spoilers. Spoiler warning. Spoilers. There are spoilers. There are spoilers. spoilers are ahead. So I'm going to toss it to Tori where she has 90 seconds. Are you going to gonna time me? I'm going to time you. I'm going to bring up the timer right now. You have 90 seconds to Did we, did we mention summarize. that there's spoilers? There are spoilers. spoilers. Yeah. There's definitely spoilers. Listen, I'm expecting to get spoilers, and I've seen the film, so it's <laughs> totally good. So, 90 seconds to summarize the entire plot of this ultra-dense, time-travel oh Christopher Nolan movie. It's thick. Let's see if she can do it. You ready? <laughs> thick okay. With two C's. All right. Ready? No. Yes. Go. Okay, so there's this guy named the protagonist, and he's like some secret agent hotshot who ends up getting captured while on some job, and his captors are like, tell us all your secrets. And he's like, um, no. And so he takes this cyanide pill, but it turns out the pill was fake, and the CIA noticed, and is like, damn, you're like a ride or die. Can you help us with this thing called Tenet? Tenet. And he's like, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. So he meets up with Robert Batman Pattinson, and their mission is to find out more about this technology from the future that lets objects move backwards and forwards in time. Um, So they find out some Russian guy actually owns this technology or controls it. And so the protagonist is like, yo, let me make friends with this Russian guy's like eight foot tall wife and then I'll get all the inside scoop, which is really sound logic. (laughs) Um, So there's a bunch of like flashy high scenes and car chases with art and planes and all kinds of stuff. And there's this big speech from the Russian about like cutting off the protagonist's balls and shoving it in his like gaping throat or something i don't know so anyway we find out that the russian guy is dying so he's throwing this major hissy fit and it's like if i'm dying then i'm gonna take the whole world down with me with this doomsday device from the future so the protagonist and edward cullen are like holy shit dude now we have to find this doomsday device too jesus and the only non-confusing way i can sum up the rest of the movie is the russian guy can travel backwards and forwards in time our paths is from the future and they end up securing the doomsday device and saving the world And then the wife kills the Russian and rides off into the sunset on the yacht with her son. And that's it. One minute, 28 seconds. Oh, my God. Yeah, 
Good job. Okay, I'm proud of myself for that. Wow. That's pretty great. I feel That's like we impressive. can wrap this up. I'm, I'm pretty sure like nobody even needs to see the movie. <clears throat> no, That's that was that literally was the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's all the best parts. So you're welcome for the that best summary. parts. The best it was parts. All the parts. <laughs> it was all the parts. <laughs> literally, I covered every part. So um, jumping right into it, initial thoughts. What did you guys think of this movie? Let's start off with Tori. Oh, gosh. Visually, I thought it was a great movie. The cinematography is beautiful. Like, it's classic Nolan. Um, if you, you know, are a big follower of his, it looks exactly like everything else he's done. I just think that the movie was trying so hard to impress people that I couldn't get into, like, what was actually happening. Like I said, with, like, the flashy heist scenes and stuff, it just felt like it was begging for attention. Like, so, like so a Nolan movie. Yeah. yeah, but like so blatantly, like a seven-year-old like standing in the pool, like look at me jump in the pool, mom, and she's like, "Oh my god, you're doing like such cool things just by jumping in the pool." Like he just <laughs> wants you to applaud him, you know, with like the car flipping scene and stuff like that. But I don't know. I just I couldn't get into it, and I tried it twice, and I was confused, and I just couldn't do it. Josh, I, I really enjoyed it. I um, <clears throat> I, I don't understand half of it. Uh, I definitely need to watch it again. Um, so, you know, I, to, to answer kind of tag on what Tori was saying, I totally agree. It, it's a Nolan film in the sense that he, he wants you to study this film. He, he wants you to walk away and want to watch it eight more times. Feel like you need to watch it eight more times to really get it. And I definitely feel like I need to watch it eight more times. Um, but I, I love it for that. I love it that I'll get to watch this again, enjoy it, maybe bring other people along with me. I thought it was, it was really fun and I'm excited to dissect it even further. Yeah, I actually, this is the last movie I was able to see in theaters. I saw it um, over my birthday weekend. Uh, it was kind of a surprise because I didn't know I was going to go see it, and I didn't really know how I was going to feel about the movie. But walking out of it, like, I really love this movie. Like, <laughs> I heard so much garbage stuff about it, how the logic doesn't really make sense, or, um, you know, it's just Nolan going back to no character development. But in the end, I walked out of this movie really enjoying myself. I love the set pieces. I love the intensity. Um, honestly, I think this is like in the, the upper half of Nolan's film catalog, maybe even top three. But yeah, I'm I I was really really impressed with this. Well, I mean, speaking of like performances, I know you said he is really famous for not really developing characters. I mean, mm -hmm. the main character's name is the, the protagonist. protagonist. Like you couldn't even give him Bob or like <laughs> Jack. I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a statement. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you're right. One of Christopher Nolan's main critiques is that his characters don't have any good arcs they just kind of have like a little thing stuck to them like Cobb and Inception where it's like I can't get back to my children that's his character um, this is kind of like Christopher Nolan finally being like you know what I care about plot more than characters mm -hmm. I'm not even going to try anymore I tried with Interstellar I don't think it quite hit so let me just go back to basics I'm going to do what I want forget it plot over story or plot over characters yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean I think it's pretty apparent in this one and not to say that the performances weren't great because no. I know we I think all of us can say unanimously Robert Pattinson was oh, yeah. fantastic. He's so much so fun was John yeah. David Washington. It's a huge credit to the actors portraying oh, this absolutely. and pulling out everything they could out of this because, you know. They don't have a lot to work with, I feel like. And and that's where I'm kind of wondering where it's like, is that Christopher Nolan working with them? Or is he just that good at picking talent that can make his movie shine brighter yeah. than they really should? I think it's definitely a mix of both. Yeah. I, he seems like... Like when I went uh, and was an extra in that Dark Knight Rises, like the football scene, and I was—I oh, yeah, mean, I was—yeah, I, I mean, I was really far away. Obviously, I'm not like up close and personal, but 
he seemed very, as soon as it was cut, he was out there. So he seemed very hands-on with the actors and things like that. So I'm sure it's a mix of both. Yeah. Um, But just them playing off of each other, John David and Robert Pattinson, I thought they were so fun. And it's exciting because they're both really, not up and coming, I don't want to say that because they both have a history in film, but mm-hmm. they're going to explode like oh, in yeah. the next couple of years. And oh, it's yeah. just, it's cool to see them starting off on such a such a strong film, I think. I agree. Yeah, and it is, it's impressive to for a lack of character development for two characters to hit it that hard and, mm-hmm. and come out of it when they don't you know they're i feel like typically they would come into it wanting to research their character wanting to really be totally in tune with it but it seems like whatever whatever vibration they both latched onto, they were on the right on the right track from the very beginning yeah. exactly and i think um elizabeth debecky she did a really great job as well i think she had the best overall arc yeah, yeah. Uh, it was very satisfying yeah. and uh, very emotional Yeah, compared to the rest. And I think that she was kind of the glue that kept it all together. And I was very, very surprised. With her like little brother, a.k.a. son. I kind of <laughs> believe that's your son. You kind of seem like a brother and sister. But um, something that I did find out actually was um, the arms dealer. Mm-hmm. Uh, her name is, I'm going to mispronounce this, but Dimple Capadia. Yeah. Um, it was her first Hollywood role. Did you oh, know that? Oh, really? She was only in Bollywood films. This is her first uh, okay. Hollywood film. Interesting. Yeah. So I was like, and she was probably one of my favorite parts. I just adored her. I mean, it wasn't, you know, big impactful right. lines, but I just thought she was a good time and a great actress. So. Mm-hmm. so Dustin, I know you're the technical analyst of cinematography and editing, and we all have opinions on it, but I'm mm-hmm. curious to know what you thought. You know, was it like every other movie he's done? Did you notice something different he was playing with, or what did you think? No, I mean, it's very much the same kind of Nolan cinematography that you'd expect since watching The Dark Knight. Mm. It's really funny how he, like, works and produces Zack Snyder's DC movies, because he's, like, the opposite, where it's like... <laughs> I have to, I'm a, I'm a slave to my visual style versus Nolan. He wants to capture everything in a more simplistic, um, realistic way because he wants to capture his set pieces practically and realistic. Mm-hmm. And so because of him capturing it in the way that he captures it and because of his crazy set pieces, like crashing an entire plane into a building... Or like, no, I thought that was cool that that was real. Was like he insane. wanted to do it with miniatures and it was cheaper yeah. to do a real it was crash. Absolutely wow. insane. Yeah. And so because he captures it that way, I think it makes it much more impactful. So he has a reason for shooting it the way he's shooting it. And you know, it's just this traditional Hollywoodist style where he he's um he's a big fan of not being super flashy when it comes to so, camera at least. Yeah. I want to hit on that cuz I want you to debunk this. So I feel I feel like the cinematography was the least influenced by the subject matter in this film when it when it comes to sound Mm -hmm. all the all the all the other things it was the thing i was least focused on because i was so just encapsulated in what he was doing with with sound with the soundtrack with effects everything going on you know and i'm sure they found ways to to make this simple and i've i've wanted to find articles on like what was the trick for so many of these scenes to like really kind of have to do that but do you feel like it was influenced at all the actual cinematography by the subject matter like as much as the sound was anything else Personally, I don't really see much of that either, but I think that was on purpose because, again, so many people are confused by this movie to put too much more into it. Like, if you were to shoot shots in reverse or something like that or really dive into this weird technical visual language, then you might even confuse the audience a little bit more. So the fact that that's the one thing that's kind of grounded, I think, helps out. Yeah. And I read that he used blue and red to signify backwards and forwards in time. Oh, I didn't know that. Like, 
I some scientific thing. I have no doubt that this is true, but it was just something <laughs> about how like how light goes through something is blue one way and red the other way and I wouldn't be surprised. Like he's he's a very smart guy. He does the research. He he does research just yeah. like in in uh Interstellar with the whole Tesseract at the end like yeah. while it took me out of the movie cuz I was like, "Oh, that's that seems really far-fetched." And then you read after like when you were done watching the movie, you do the research and it turns out that's like a real scientific theory of like how this is supposed to work this other dimension where it's like 4D instead of 3D. He does his research, so this is definitely based on, I don't know how to say real scientific theory, proposed mm-hmm. scientific theory? Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I'm curious, though, like, because we've talked about this so much with you trying to explain to me the backwards <laughs> and forwards. I don't want to sound ignorant. There are time travel movies that I love, but do you think that he made this movie for audiences? Because I don't. I think he made it for people For his fans, number one, they just go for Nolan. And also those people who are desperately wanting to get involved in like an SAT kind of movie. You know, someone who's going to think it through, do the research. But I don't know if this was made for the general audience. So I'm curious if you guys think it was or was it made more for the deep divers and Nolan fans? No, I just think this is Nolan figuring out time travel and just bringing (laughs) this along with him. And just sitting back and watching (laughs) the world burn and everyone trying to figure it out and stuff. (laughs) Like, you idiots. You'll I mean, never get it. It's really funny because I think this was a lot more easier to understand the first time than, like, Inception. I don't... Oh, that's I don't so funny to me. I yeah. So. Maybe really? I'm just so trained by Inception now where I know just... I thought Inception was so easy Nolan to movies. get. It's super interesting how he's become someone so well-known to where the studio is literally like, if we put a Nolan movie in theaters, it'll bring back theaters single-handedly. Or at least mm, that's what they thought. Yeah. Is it because they had to see it so many times that they're just paying? <laughs> people will pay multiple times for this. See, for me, it was like I was. I know people that did. I went to the bathroom and came back, and I think I accidentally hit the, you know, the play rewind button instead of like the regular play button, and I was super. I I, th- I thought I was actually playing the film at one point. <laughs> so that's that's the uh, disadvantage of this being forward and backwards. Um, I want to get into some of the technical parts of this because I feel like you know. Any Nolan movie has his staples, like we said, with performances, character development. He's used Hans Zimmer most of the time, uh-huh. but we have not a new guy because he has he has a history. He's worked in TV a lot. But, yeah, but he's um, never worked with Nolan before. Right, right. So I thought that was... And I wouldn't have known the difference. I thought the score mm-hmm. was beautiful and sounded very similar. To Zimmer. Yeah. Um, Zimmer was going to do it, but he was too busy with Dune. Right. Which... Can we just? I'm so excited. For Moment Dune. of silence for Dune. I can't wait. It's <sighs> gonna be so good. All right, but yeah, Ludwig uh, Gorenson. Gorenson is that his name? I think so. Yeah. He's uh, he did it. He did Black Panther score, which was mm-hmm. phenomenal. He did uh, the Mandalorian score, which is also and phenomenal. Creed. He did Creed. Yep. Yeah. He has great style. Uh, he experimented a lot with. He wrote the sheet music how he wanted it to sound, and then he wrote it again backwards and let the orchestra play it backwards. And then he reversed it again in post, so it played like he originally intended, but all the instruments were being played like backwards. Just to give it some twang. And so it has a weird backwards feel to it. They played it backwards, or he... They played his original sheet music in reverse. And so then when he reversed it again to where it was originally supposed to sound, like all the instruments are like starting oh and stopping God. in different places yeah what saints yeah i wonder if they signed up for this like oh a nolan movie this is gonna be great and it's like play it backwards <laughs> and they're like what <laughs> <laughs> what oh my 
my god, I didn't know that. That's great. I want to jump back to to audio for a minute. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I was just I I was most um uh, again just really really tuned into that. I really digging that the entire way. And I I I'd heard a lot of the you know the complaints, um and from some of my really good friends that are Nolan fanatics mm-hmm. that you know were just like I couldn't stand the film, and because of that like it just ruined it for me. But I feel like I got it early on. Like I feel like I I figured out what he did, and that was you know that he got the mix the way he liked it. And then he, the keyword of this film, inverted it. So you're hearing your music a lot louder than you would hear your your spoken word. And it was just, it was so different because it was like you're in the normal, what we think is the normal forward trajectory of time, right? But he's playing this in a way that makes you think that it's completely inverted. So he's bringing in these inverted parts of the world to the normal world, what we think is the normal mm. world. I don't know. What do you think? Think, That's really interesting. I, I mean, haven't thought about that. What, what else would be the explanation for that? Because he's he's a technical genius. Yes. So it's not a mistake. No. <laughs> um, I mean, he's the kind of guy where he will make a movie and he'll want to present it in very specific aspects. Like he will give the theater like, this is what Decibel it needs to be mm. at. This is the framing you need to have. And I do wonder how much of it was like just human error. Like, I heard that a lot, that people thought it was the projections or right, something so in the theater. Right, so that's just like teenagers working these projectors and the sound systems. Like, do they know how to make sure something is set correctly? But to be fair, I watched it in my living room. That sounded great to you? Well, it, no, it sounded exactly like I totally understood people's complaints. So, But then I felt like I understood the theory of why it was happening. Nolan has this history. Like, he's, for the last couple of films, he's been... Uh, messing with just making the background a little louder, a little louder, a little louder over the dialogue. I don't know why he's doing it, but I do wonder if it has something to do with his preference for like IMAX and maybe using those kind of sound systems because he wants the, I mean, obviously now we know he is a diehard fan. Like he wants everything to be seen in theaters. He doesn't want it to be shown at home. (laughs) Um, So I wonder if that's like his you know, preference. Like he, let's just master it for IMAX and who cares about everything else? Mm. One of the most prolific filmmakers in our era, I think we would all agree, except Tori, that, uh, <laughs> you know, that is Christopher Nolan. I like, okay, I need to set the record straight. I like Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. I did not like this movie. Please continue. <laughs> just giving you a hard time. So the, but the, the interesting thing is who, who have we heard um, consistently that's had sound complaints it's been him it's, it was with bane mm-hmm. um and you know it's now it's with it's this i i was i feel like i heard something with dunkirk i haven't seen dunkirk to be fair but i feel like i heard something with dunkirk as well it was very loud over the like the the background noise is very loud compared to the audio as well i i, I don't know what his reasoning is yeah. honestly I, it doesn't bother me no it made it made everything more intense yeah. but i don't tenant I, I could see where some things could have been turned down but it really didn't bother me at all yeah if we're going to get into the technicals, the costuming, is it Nolan costuming? We're not here for yeah. the Met Gala. There was, no. there was some sharp suits, though, oh, yeah. I have to say. If you're Pattinson. a sucker for a well-fitted suit, honey. I, I, it made me see Pattinson, and I was like, yeah, I, he's Bruce Wayne. I, I was like, excuse that. me. I'm down for it. I can see how he got that role from this movie. He came a long way from pea coats and V-necks and glittering skin to a, <laughs> a sharp-dressed man, that's for sure. So I enjoyed that. I didn't pay a lot of attention to the costume, but I think if anything were to stand out, it would be uh, homegirl's outfits. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I feel like she, you know, I'm like, is the wardrobe wearing her or is she wearing the wardrobe? Like, <laughs> but in a great way. Like, oh, it, yeah. it, I feel like the, the costuming folks really had a lot of fun 
um, with her. Well, I think that's to sh- kind of show like how protected she is. She's not mm. showing yeah. like skin a lot because she's she's uh, cowering. She's like yeah, arms over her chest. She's got to protect herself from. Absolutely. Kenneth Branagh, which <laughs> sweet, sweet, sweet Kenneth. Kenneth Branagh. I just can't, I just can't be mad at him, even when he's yelling. I, I, I just will can't say, be mad at him. like <laughs> he hams it up so well in this. He just feels like a James Bond villain. Like he's the one person that's allowed to ham it up in this movie. Yeah, and he he does a great job just making it just under ridiculous. It felt very James Bond, I think, overall, especially mm-hmm. with John David. Like I just remember him delivering certain jokes in a very serious way. That felt really Bond-like, like like really old school, and I like that. I mean, this goes back to when Sam Mendes stepped out of James Bond after Spectre, and they were looking for a new director. Everybody thought it was going to be Christopher Nolan, and, you know, Daniel Craig stepped out for a while, and they thought they were going to have a new James Bond. They thought it was going to be Idris Elba, Um, but then Daniel Craig decided to step back in, Mm. and then I think there was talks of Nolan doing it, but then it just never came through, and then um, Kerry Fukunaga stepped in for No Time to Die. But I feel like this is Nolan's kind of like, fine, I wanted to make a James Bond movie. I wasn't able to. So let me just make one anyway. This is my James Bond movie with the Idris Elba that I didn't get. <laughs> <laughs> God, that would have been good. I know. I still have hopes one day. Hey, it could very well happen. One day. One day. Um, so the story itself, I feel like other than the time travel aspect, the plot was very, very simple. Like if that time travel Other than aspect, the like biggest plot well, point. Well, no, I feel like that's the... the kind of the point though is it doesn't want to convolute just the general plot because the premise itself like the idea of this time travel is so complicated so the rest of it's just so simple so you can hopefully follow a little easier what do you guys think so i guess is this is he setting up the very first prequel sequel like i, I don't know. don't tell me that <laughs> no i mean at the end it's like you want to know what these you know these adventures were uh you know that they they allude that they go mm-hmm. on I, I would watch John David Washington and Robert Pattinson just do some I time travel stuff. I would watch them anything, yeah. yeah. He's waiting for the next pandemic to save, <laughs> uh, to save the theaters again. Yeah. And then he'll release the sequel. Prequel sequel. <laughs> prequel sequel. The prequel sequel. Yeah. Is that what it would be called? You know, it was going to be called Merry Go Round. <laughs> really? I'm, I'm serious. That was a working title. It was Merry Go Round. Was that just a project name? Like just. I saw working title, but oh. can you imagine Christopher Nolan presents Merry Go Round? So one thing, another criticism of Nolan's is his, how he handles exposition. Um, how, especially in films like Inception, where you just see a bunch of like people just walking around in pretty settings, just talking about how this thing works. But I feel like here, he does a really interesting thing where he lets the time travel aspect kind of speak for itself. He just shows it. He doesn't really talk about it as much or explain it as much. And instead, you still get those scenes where people are walking and talking. But it's more as exposition exposition to like the spy espionage stuff where it's like, this isn't nearly as interesting as the time travel stuff. So let's get through that quickly. Let's go to this arms dealer and talk about where I need to go to next. And then we'll we'll get back into it. Kind of flipped it. So I I think Tenet has much more rewatchability in that aspect where you don't have to worry about (laughs) hearing how this stuff works over and over and over again. You just won't understand it. That's why you have to watch it over and over again. You can. he, He does explain it. He just doesn't explain it nearly as much as he does, like, the drain yeah. machine. <laughs> I need the Inception explanation. Eh. That's how things are going to be measured now. Like, instead of putting it in layman's terms, put it in Inception terms or tenant terms. Tenant <laughs> terms. This, I mean, can you think back to a movie where you have anticipated the director's commentary any more than this one? I don't know. This one really seems like I just can't wait to hear what he, what he was thinking so much of the time. 
drawing like the giant memento yeah. do, do that, that anymore just, just commentary still do we do yeah that? okay they, yeah or you dvd still I, don't, I don't buy dvd yeah, I don't, yeah I, you I have guess. to buy the dvd and watch it this one is i i'd recommend watching because the way they shot this stuff was just ridiculous it was absolutely insane all of us are editors in some form or another so what did you guys think about the editing of the film overall yeah so for me i feel like this is edited in a very similar way like that most of his longer movies have been since The Dark Knight, where if it feels like it's going to go over two and a half hours, he just cuts and cuts and cuts, and he's not afraid to leave the audience behind, you know? And so a lot of his scenes or a lot of his shots are just very, very quick. And I like that a lot sometimes. It could be to its detriment at times. And that happens here, especially I feel like in the final battle is where I see a lot of uh, the editing issues. But um, overall... It didn't really bother me. I thought it was good. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty cut and dry. Um, my only note, which I wanted to ask about, was the scene where Kenneth, and I keep calling him Kenneth. I know he has a name He's in the movie. but Sator. I, Sator. I she says Andre. Okay. And I watched 90 Day Fiance, and this girl has a fiance named Andre. Andre she Sator. Says. And I just kept wanting her to say Andre, but she just I'm kept saying Andre. Cut off your balls. She was like, Andre, <laughs> like, don't be mean to me. Um, but yeah, so there was a scene where, you know, he got physically abusive with her and I thought it was cut very odd. It was very like he didn't show or really have sound for the hits just, you know, like you see in, in regular movies right. or normal movies. Um, and I, I didn't understand that because normally, you know, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of action, but this was cut very different, very, you know, she hits the floor and turns away almost like a. Not comedic, but almost like a stage show, almost like a play acting. Mm -hmm. So I know what scene you're talking about, and I can see what you mean. I don't know, like, that edit was a little strange. Mm -hmm. But Nolan, you say Dark Knight has, like, a bunch of violence, but it's all implied. Mm -hmm. You think about uh, the pencil trick scene with the Joker. Mm -hmm. It cuts away. Yeah. Every, like, every punch kind of cuts away. He doesn't like to show the violence. He doesn't like to glorify the violence. He wants you to imagine the violence. And so I feel like that's what he was trying to do here. Not sure if it quite worked. Going back to that in Dark Knight, you almost don't even notice. Mm -hmm. It's just, like you said, implied. But here, I found it very noticeable. And I guess coming from, you're a diehard Nolan fan, I'm diehard Quentin Tarantino every day, all day, which I know you are too. I'm not going to say, like, I'm the biggest Nolan fan. I'm not going to say I'd sit here and, like, suck his dick. But I'm also not saying I wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) If he walked up to you, you know, you're not going (laughs) to lean back or back away or anything. But yeah, I guess it's just, it's really funny to see such two heavy hitter directors, you know, I'm not expecting a Nolan movie where someone gets shot to be blown backwards into the other right. room or anything, but I just thought that was a, a weird cut, but I, I didn't, I don't know Nolan that well, so I didn't know that he insinuates violence over, you know, actually showing it, which is interesting. So this was the scene right, right before he stepped into the big yes. whatever you call the turntable. Right before yeah, he, he like, like shoots yells. her. Yeah. So, you know, maybe... <clears throat> Were they putting themselves in the themselves in the edit room in the eyes of the the audience, right? I mean, because if I remember right, that was the most intense we've seen his character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like I, all eyes on him. I right. Mean, it's like if that's happening in the room, where are your eyes? Your eyes. I mean, yeah, she got hit. I hope she's okay. But like, I'm more worried about scared this guy. of this dude. Yeah. And they're you know they're coming at it from a third third party angle of 
you're not necessarily seeing it from her perspective. Yeah. But you're seeing it from a low angle. Right. Where she like, but like the camera guy's just on the floor, just observing this, mm -hmm. but also giving you that, you know, that I used to shoot wrestling, right? So mm -hmm. they, they loved me because I'm five, six, I'm short. <laughs> and they put a camera on my shoulder and anybody I'm looking up at and they love that because they, they look godlike. And I think that was intentional with this, right. and the fact that, you know, and that's cinematography, right? But mm -hmm. um, I think there was a lot of the editing was just focused on him. And and I'll go higher level with, I guess, some of my comments now hearing hearing you guys talk about it. I don't think there could have been anybody more in tune with Nolan latching on to this whole forwards reverse thing than the editor. I right. mean, there was somebody oh, he, sure. he had... He had to make sure this person he was they were well trusted to handle this so we have to give credit to where the the time travel thing happened um you know the forwards and backwards of time collided because those scenes it was just like i know i i should be i i know something's going on here but mm -hmm. i have no idea what it is and i'm so mm -hmm. tuned into it right i love the way that was cut if i had any criticism for any any editing in any of the scenes it was the end the big battle. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. It was. I just felt like I was for 15 minutes just saying, "What's happening?" <laughs> like it was just all so fast. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I wasn't able to keep up. I feel like if I were to only have 15 minutes to go back and watch one part of that movie, the ending. it left yeah. in my my rental. Um, <laughs> then I think it would be the ending, just to really try to dissect a little bit right. more of what happened yeah, there. I can see that. I, I, again, like you're right. Like the hardest jobs on this movie were probably the. DP and Nolan trying to figure out like how the hell to shoot this thing forward backwards how to make this look that well that good and then the editor trying to make sense of it all especially with the way Nolan likes to shoot his films where a lot of the scenes um dip in and out of each other like there's lots of cross cutting between like Elizabeth and Becky on a boat then there's this huge battle and then Robert Pattinson's like oh I gotta mm -hmm. do this thing and go save everybody so they're cutting between three different stories some are forward, some are backwards, some are in different locations. Yeah. And as an editor, I would pull my hair out. <laughs> Can you imagine those phone calls? The editor just like, um, Chris, I'm like really into the scene and everything, but I just feel like I'm not getting it right. Like I would just be a ball of nerves and just crying every night if I was that editor. Oh, I'm so. sure Nolan was right behind his back and it was just like, put that here, put that there, put that here. And he's just oh like, sure, God. whatever you say, he I don't better, know what the hell I'm doing. You know, he better have given that guy a great Christmas gift is all I can say. Like an edible arrangement or something. Like send that guy there were, something nice. Did you guys walk away from this film thinking, I should have known at the very first, you know, time collision scene about the whole movie. Because, you know, what the whole movie was going to be like. Mm -hmm. I, I, I had this overwhelming sense of I'm an idiot at the end of it. <laughs> but, like, looking back, there's no way. I mean, there's, he doesn't give you enough information that early no, no, on no, no, no. to give no, you any sense of what's... because I thought it was going to be, you know, when he goes to India, I think, and they talk about an arms deal and this is what they're mm -hmm. looking for and that. And I was like, okay, they just need to find this piece of technology. That's the movie. Yeah. Right. And then there's five more plots happening oh, you know yeah. before you even know it so yeah no i no, i didn't know what was going it was, on. it was the sense of who done it but i right. didn't but i again like i knew there was not enough information there right. this movie waits like an hour and a half to like drop the ball on you mm -hmm. like for the first hour and a half you just got to hang on tight and just know that the answers are going to be coming <laughs> trust in daddy and all because there was like you're right for the first hour and a half i was just kind of like how is all this working? I don't really understand. But then as soon as he, uh, John David Washington's character goes back to help Elizabeth DeBecky's character, mm -hmm. like he goes through the thing and then you start seeing everything from his point of view and how it's working. That's when I was like, I get it now. Okay. I understand what's happening. I'm on board. This is really interesting. Um, this is a really cool way to do time travel. 
And I was I was really, really liking it mm. from that point on. There is an audience for this type of film. Yeah. Well, and the fact that this kind of movie, this original IP that got millions of dollars, like hundreds of millions, what was the budget I think for it's this 250 thing? Million. $250 million. $250 million dollars. Just just because he's a great director, they just gave it to him, and he was able to make whatever he wanted. Like, this isn't like the 15th tran- Transformers movie. This is, hey, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is an original time travel IP that was huge budget that dropped in the middle of a pandemic. And, I mean, I applaud him for that. Absolutely. You it can't fault him for being original. It's yeah. wildly original. It's incredibly, you know, different and fresh, and there's no doubt about that. It's just who it's made for that I <laughs> so, question. So let's go into, like, what are some things that you changed? What are some things that you just, like, really did not like? I don't I don't think I would change much about it, to be honest, which sounds really stupid and ignorant <laughs> for someone who didn't like the movie. But I can't, I couldn't see a Nolan movie with this type of shit show of a story to go any other way. I, I, I guess I could go forward and backward on this. Oh. Uh, so I don't know. I'm curious to hear. Maybe I'm just not thinking through it enough. But the arms dealer, I feel like that whole thing could have, could have. This is my, this is my backwards because I feel like that could have maybe gone just decomplicated the story a little bit. Because mm-hmm. I love the like reverse bungee jumping, like all that like really fun stuff. But I, I don't know. I don't know if that was as critical. I loved her character. I thought she did a really great job. Yeah. Um, so that's where I go forward on it. I like that she really brought complexity and brought like I, I feel like I need to rewatch it to catch all those things. Right. So the replay value, awesome. But if I'm watching it one time, and I know that's the only time I'll ever, I'll ever see it, I would l- maybe decomplicate it a little. Right. A little. So. Instead of, like, telling us, you could have shown us. Like, maybe he would have found something that would have led him some to the next place versus just, you know, spending the time and letting her tell us where we need to go next. Do you think he wrote her character specifically for that? It kind of seems like it. Like, here's our exposition character. It kind of seems like it. Yeah. I mean, she comes in at the end where she's like, oh, I'm going to take him out now or take her, take Elizabeth, the Becky's character out and then ends up getting killed. But like, that seems like it was kind of like a last minute. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, let's make her character like worth it. <laughs> Just having her here in the first place. So, I mean, what would you change? Do you think that would be the only thing, Dustin? My main thing, because I can take, you're right, I can take or leave that. Like, if, if she's in there for exposition, exposition, then so be it. But my main thing is the final battle just kind of felt a little off to me. Like I was much more interested with her on the yacht facing him than them just running through and shooting a bunch of people that we've never met or seen. We barely even Mm -hmm. see them. They're just shooting and you never see who they're shooting at. You never really see too many bad guys. They have no emotional stakes other than like they're just there and they got to get this thing. But like the strategy involved was a lot more interesting than the actual battle. And I think that was the biggest problem for me was maybe I'd rework that, maybe bring it all together, maybe Seder and he's there so that they actually have like the big bad guys where the final battle's taking place. Do you know the runtime? What was this runtime? Two and a half? Roughly two and a half. So do you think it was an instance of this is too long, let's chop up this ending real fast? You no, know, it might be. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> let's talk about our favorite and least favorite scenes in this movie. And I will happily go first because my least favorite scene was the yacht where she, and this is my just pet peeve, where she squirts all this sunscreen on his back. And then she's like, okay, actually, I can't do this anymore. I have to kill you right now. And then he's like, 
seriously? Like, you're not even going to help me with the sunscreen? Like that? <laughs> and you just see this sunscreen, like, all over his back. And it's a very intense emotional moment. But all I could look at was this <laughs> giant blob of sunscreen on Kenna's back and thinking how it's getting on all those beautiful, expensive pillows and, like, all this stuff. So... That was probably just my random least favorite scene, but my favorite, my just favorite, visually, just disgusting. Just visually with my OCD like at least rub it in. and like I know, or at least don't do it. Be like, I don't know. That's that's good revenge though, because I'll be pissed. How if embarrassing! Just, just like, oh, this is gross. Like, get it off my back. Well, actually, now that I think about it, didn't she like kick him off and he just slid like an otter? Oh yeah. So maybe she did it on purpose. Make a little slip Ooh. and slide. That is smart. Okay, I just I didn't remember think that. About that. That I remember, yeah. So if she's that smart where she's like, all right, I'm going to kick this. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> I don't know if she thought it through all the way, but it did work out in her favor. Um, but my favorite scene was definitely the car chase, um, which everyone saw in the trailer with, because Nolan used a lot of practicals with oh, the yeah. plane crash and the car flipping backwards, forwards. I don't remember how many stunt drivers I read, but there was a ton of stunt drivers for that scene. It took like three weeks or three days to film. I don't remember what I read. Right. But... I mean, that was really the coolest part. Anytime practical effects are used, I am in. Because mm-hmm. we're, we live in such a CGI-heavy world these days that any time when a director takes the effort to make a car flip upside down backwards and then go in reverse, like, I'm all for it. So that <laughs> that was an awesome scene to me. I, I enjoyed that for the two seconds it was there. Well, yeah. Well, um, yeah. yeah, I guess my favorite scene would be that first collision, right? The I keep saying collision, but just the time. When you really see the time... Uh, change in the art gallery with the they've got the little mini rotators and that yeah. whole thing going on because um, you knew something was up you knew it was like you're really seeing it like the it's the most visual representation representation of what you're of the film that you're seeing so far uh, and there was just that moment that stuck out for me when you know uh, Robert Pattinson is chasing the guy down the hall and he just like quickly does away with him he comes right back and yeah you know, there's something that was cool. there's right. something up there yeah and i love that they went back and they you know again close the loop on that close right. the loop on some of the other stuff and again my uh my least favorite is just the battle scene i, I just got really lost yeah. um really quick uh it was good i mean it was i, I love some of the things that they were doing i want to go again rewatchability i want to go back and see there you know there was that weird thing where like the guy got sucked back into the explosion yeah, and just yeah. some really fun stuff there that um i think they did a really good job with but yeah, that's probably it for me. No, I, I agree. Like the, the final battle part was my least favorite. Um, I'm, I do wonder if I go back and rewatch it, if it'll make more sense. If maybe the editing will hold up a little bit better, maybe because I was a little confused the first time of what was actually happening. Um, we'll see. And then my favorite part was yeah, the airplane heist thing, but especially that fight where John David Washington's fighting himself yeah. in reverse. <laughs> How? That is crazy. Yeah. The yeah. first time I saw that, I was just mind blown. I did have a tinge of like, this dude is like way too similar to him. Yeah. There was that, because I'm like, mm-hmm. he's not been outmatched mm-hmm. up to this point, and now this dude is literally footstepping the same way that he does. Right. So, again, I I did not know, but it was just like there's something awry, right? right. There's something going on. So it was, yeah. I, I love, you know, seeing all those things at the end, really, really finishing that up, seeing the you know, the girl that jumped off the yacht was actually her. Yeah. You know, so that much of that fun. really, I, I thought that was really That's funny. what I really like too, is like everything that you kind of don't, didn't understand at, by the end you do. Yeah. It all comes back around. And so if you just hold on, wait through the whole movie <laughs> and just know that it's going to be answered, it will be answered. Just breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, and then <laughs> the roller coaster's over and you did it. You didn't throw up. You made there it you out. <laughs> that's pretty much it. Okay. Well, to wrap up this episode, 
Um, we are going to each give our frame rate, our just general rating of the film. I will go first, and I'm just going to say, listen, if you're a diehard Nolan fan, see the movie. If you really want to challenge yourself mentally, be exhausted, get a good night's sleep because your brain is just fried by the end of a movie, see this movie. But if you saw the trailer, you saw the best parts, and mm. that's just my opinion. I watched the trailer a ton of times because I was like, mm. oh my god, this looks so good my opinion so to me if you watch the trailer 10 times you're good that's pretty much the movie so go watch a different time travel movie um i think again yeah you're right if you're a nolan fan watch this if you like high concept movies watch this know going into it that you're going to be thinking you're going to have to watch it you can't just be on your phone uh and i mean it's it's very rare to have something like this get made nowadays where it's original it is intellectual and it is a lot of fun so i'd say give it a watch I, I, i'm gonna go traditional rating system uh at a 10 Ooh. i'm gonna go seven and a half so it, i think it helps with the understanding why so seven and a half um which seems low to me in my scope because i i liked it a lot i didn't fully understand it and i know that there's a rewatch ability for me so the uh, I, I will give an iou for the eight and a half i fully right. yeah fully just for for shits and gigs, what is y'all's top three Nolan movies? I haven't seen them all, so I really can't rate. That you've seen. I really like The Prestige. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of oh my, my favorites. Oh my God, I forgot he did that. I think, I think that's his best movie. Yeah, I was a really, really big fan. Um, and then, of course, Interstellar. Mm. Uh, and, and I would say Tenant's up there. I haven't seen Dunkirk yet. Um, and I could be totally wrong, because I haven't seen this movie like since it came out. But Prestige, there's some time elements it's just in the cutting of when they're telling the story yeah that's when he first started this is right after he made batman begins and he got a big budget to do Mm -hmm. a movie he wanted to do that wasn't like a batman movie and so he decided to make this magician movie and he started experimenting with a lot of cross-cutting and yeah that i could follow and that i really enjoyed but Mm. it's a different time right interpretation but all right guys well i think that's it for tenet i think we've all uh set our piece so let me throw it back to Tori so we can uh see what we're doing next yeah so the way we're going to be picking films uh of the week is we're just basically going to go around the room it's very complicated stuff so since Dustin picked Tenant um I get the honor of picking the next film what do we got I am beyond excited for this one I have watched the trailer a thousand times I'll say it's a new film Mm mm-hmm newer film it uh is female written directed Ooh, okay it's got a britney spears element so it seems to it britney spears okay the icon of the 90s oh. do you have a clue no okay. clue <laughs> okay so it's promising young woman Ooh. which just nice. i don't want to get ahead of myself it looks like pure perfection but i will wait and see what it has to offer I'm excited. Yeah. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode and we're going to catch you on the next one for Promising Young Woman. Awesome, guys. Well, we'll see you guys on the flip side. In the meantime, catch you on the flip side. Peace. (laughs) 1995. On the flip side. I wish.